Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in a study we're doing of the New Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. We are three years into the process of the New Testament. We've got a couple years to go to get it finished up, the New Testament, and then we'll hop into the Old Testament. Fifteen years after that, we'll be done, and then we'll start all over again. So uh, mark your calendars. Just start with Wednesdays. They're busy. <laughs> You've got somewhere to be, all right? And uh, we're glad you're with us. Um, we, we work through the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We work through the book of Acts. And then uh, springing out of the book of Acts, we began to talk about the letters that Paul wrote because they're, they're easily relatable to the book of Acts and uh, the missionary journeys of Paul. And we're taking them, uh, as far as we can tell, chronologically, in the order we believe Paul wrote them. Remember, he's writing these letters back to churches that he started, um, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, that uh, the church was a brand new thing. Back then, there's a lot of issues they've never had to deal with. It's a whole new deal, the church of, of Jesus Christ and what that looks like. And, uh, and so there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of stuff going on. Paul can't stay in one place very long. As you know, he kind of gets run out of town very often, not by the believers, but by everybody else who doesn't care for him. And, uh, and so he's often got these things started. He only had a few months with them in a lot of cases. And then they have to move along to the next town where he starts another church as the Lord leads and... and uh, and then there would be questions in the churches that were established that needed to be dealt with. And oftentimes these came in the form of questions that were brought by either people or in letter form. And Paul would write letters back. Uh, it's important to know that as you read through these things so that you hold them in some sort of context. Um, because if you don't have a context for what's being written, you um, may sometimes take them out of context and make them say something they're really not saying. So they were written to a specific people at a specific time and yet under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit they still speak to the church today um, when you understand the reason they were being written. Alright and so that's why we study these things and and we look at them together and we take it a chapter at a time and we we try and deal with the context for the letters so that we can understand what was being written. We're, we're moving now into 2 Corinthians. And what that means. We just finished Galatians. We did 1 Corinthians before that. If you remember, the first letter to the Corinthians was a pretty tough letter. There was some great stuff in there. The chapter of love is in there. And the, and the, the chapter on the gifts is in there. But a lot of corrections had to happen to the church of Corinth. It was a mess. There was a lot of issues with um, a lot of... Um, Big things that still impact the church today. I read you the, the list of issues when we started that, and it was still the same 2,000 years later. We have a lot of similar issues that needed to be dealt with, and, and so Paul lovingly deals with a lot of difficult issues in 1 Corinthians. And he, he uses, though, throughout the thing and throughout you know, his, his tone in all these things is, look, we, we may not agree on everything, but we need to love one another as the foundation and then allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to come and to correct us and challenge us and convict us and help us move into the truth. Because the Corinthians had, had spent some time, they had uh, looked at Scripture and studied certain ideas and they'd come up with opposing viewpoints. There was division because of it. And, and Paul had to move into that situation. And, and there's, there is a truth... But, but there's also a way to get people to receive truth, uh, and, and that's allowing the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and change them. And that was the, the sort of the tenor of a lot of 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a, is a deeply personal letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And in it, 
um, Paul will share a lot of his own inner feelings, his inner struggles, of the things that he's going through in an attempt to help the people reading his letter um, understand the, the principles on which the ministry needs to be based. He's, he's trying to help people by being very real and honest with them. And the first letter, this is several years later now, had been received with mixed sort of um, uh, reception, as you can, you can understand. There was a mixed sort of feeling by the people who read it. Um, we, we find out that the brother who had been addressed that was, was living that horrendous life had turned around, um, which was very good. But a lot of those causing the division had been offended by um, Paul's letter. And as a response, they were still challenging his authority and his apostleship. And uh, they basically charge him uh, with uh, unwarranted pride and overconfidence. And, uh, and they accuse him of saying one thing one time and one thing at another. And so uh, this was causing some pretty serious problems still in the church in Corinth. And Paul um, is going to respond to those things in this letter, expressing his deep love for and uh, uh, his continuing confidence in what in effect is a pretty immature congregation. They'd just gotten started. Uh, and part of the Corinthians' problem had been pride. And because they were so um, amazingly gifted by the Spirit, they thought that meant that they were spiritually mature. And that's part of the problem. They just aren't. And, and so they haven't dealt with some of the deeper issues in life. They haven't grown in, into their, giftingness, uh, their giftedness, so to speak, yet. And so it's causing some problems. And they're, 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 they're challenging some of the very prideful ones are challenging the, the authority and the leadership of the Apostle Paul in their midst. Uh, also, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul will deal with some specific things like giving. But, but primarily, he's reassuring the Corinthian church that in spite of the problems that are going on and, and the critics uh, are speaking of him, that he loves the church, he, he loves the Corinthian church and, uh, and he, he cares for them and he's going to move into them and try and help them with this letter. Uh, and, and we'll see as we start right off the bat in 2 Corinthians 1 here in just a moment, um, you, Paul's going to just toss out there uh, some of his inadequacies and his vulnerabilities. And... and uh, uh, it's fascinating to me. He's under attack for who he is. And rather than respond from a position of strength, which would be what a lot of people would do, he, he actually responds by revealing his weakness. And you would think, well, that's just going to be fodder for the people to even attack him greater. But, but uh, he writes in the very beginning of the letter, we'll see it in a minute, in verses 8 and 9, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. You need to understand that this is the Apostle Paul being extremely real with how he was feeling in the, in the midst of his life. And I think what Paul does here, which is so important, is that um, he gets, he understands that to minister effectively people are going to have to identify with his humanity um, and, and then uh, in, in connecting with him, he can then gently lead them in uh, to a closer walk with Christ where they can be uh, more developed in, in what's happening. And, uh, and so, you know, from this, what we all should get is that in, in relating to other people, um, we really have to be honest and real with where we're at. That's been a problem in the church sometimes is that we think that when we're talking to people that are not yet in the church, we need to sort of present ourselves as having it all together. And um, 
the, the problem is since you don't have it all together, presenting yourself that way comes off as very hypocritical. And you don't. Let me tell you right now, in case you're thinking that you do, you do not have it all together. Okay? None of us does. Um, and so we, we shouldn't operate from that position. We are uh, people in relationship with Christ who um, sinners uh, but, uh, have messed up and yet we are experiencing the grace that God has. We're back in, in restored relationship with him and we're not yet perfect. Uh, and yet we're trying to yield to the Holy Spirit to learn to live by doing the next right thing, to grow and to mature in our walk, but we have not yet arrived. And this is all a, a part of the deal that we're in and we need to be very honest about it. We still make mistakes. We still um, fall short of where we want to be. And, and that this is a part of, of the reality of life. And Paul's trying to connect with uh, his readers by being real, by telling them, now, we were in such a, think about this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, all right? The, the guy who on the road to Damascus was, was knocked down, encountered Jesus, blinded, um, given this amazing revelation to go and preach the gospel, used by God to start churches all over the known world. Um, you know, at the height of his ministry, he would just kind of walk by sick people in his shadow. They would pop up healed. Um, he had uh, seen all these amazing miracles, and yet at the same time, Paul talks about being shipwrecked and beaten and, and all the things that happened to him. He'll talk about that in, in this letter later on. And that at some point, it, you know, he said, we even despaired for our lives. We were so, such a bad spot. That we didn't even we didn't even know if we could make it. Do you get how amazing it is that a man of faith like the Apostle Paul would be that real and honest with other people and not just oh we always knew we were going to be just fine. <laughs> and so, um, to me, this is why this letter is so important. Second Corinthians. Um, see, we don't know Paul as a person. We didn't live in the first century world, but in this letter. Um, not only do we, we sort of get to see Paul face to face, but we, we really get to meet him heart to heart. And uh, it's, it's, it's perhaps one of the most intimate uh, biblical portrayals we have of, of anyone, and particularly of Paul as a person. And, and in that, I think we, we can see the kind of people that God is calling us all to become. People who love him, who, who, who have faith in him, who trust in him, and yet who can be real and honest about the difficult things that we all face in the course of this life. So let's dig in. 2 Corinthians 1, that was all preamble, no extra charge. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 24 verses, I'll read them to you and then we'll discuss them. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. 
And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand us fully, that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him... It has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so a few things I want to dig into, and there's a lot of verses in that particular chapter that get pulled out of context all the time. I'm not going to dig into them, but I bet that as I read that, you've heard some of those verses popped out here and there, but not in the context that they were being written just then, because it's a It's a good thing to grab just a few verses on it. So you need to be um, aware of the context of what Paul is doing. Like he's saying yes and no, and and, and what we said was yes in Christ, and the promises in Christ, he's he's dealing with the implication that he says one thing and then says something else, and he doesn't. He said, no, it's always been this way. We've always preached this gospel to you, and we will continue to do that. There's a lot of verses like that that you need to be aware of. Okay. So as he starts the letter, just as Doug said earlier, he says hello to everybody. Very good, Doug. Thank you for reading that. And uh, I know. He, uh, he's writing this letter, uh, and he's sending it ahead of the planned third visit to Corinth to just sort of prepare the way that he's getting ready to come and to deal with some of the issues before he gets there. And uh, the first couple of verses. Then in verses 3 through 11... Paul writes about the troubles that we all endure just from living in a fallen world on a broken planet. And and that that this is part of life. And and we need to make sure that we understand that. Sometimes we we may have the idea that that because we're in the kingdom of God now, we've accepted Christ, that that means we get, you know, everything's going to go just 
just the way we want it to. And uh, that's, if somebody told you that, they didn't give you the full story. Um, because it's a fallen world. The planet's broken. Things happen. Um, and they happen for a lot of reasons. They happen because sometimes um, we, we sin and, and sometimes there's consequences for that. That's part of the deal. Sometimes other people's sin causes us consequences, which is even worse because there's something about, we sort of get that if we've done something and there's some, some repercussion to that, we, well, that was our stupidity and we got that coming. Much harder when it's somebody else's bad decisions that impacts us in a negative way and it's very, very hard to deal with. But unfortunately, it's a fallen world and, and those things happen. And then, uh, you know, sometimes it's attack and other things happen. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that's tragic. We deal with tragedies and hardships all the time. And it's, it's sad, but it's part of the deal. Uh, and, and so what Paul does, though, is remind us that even in the midst of that, that God is with us and that God comforts us. The ideas of troubles, pressures, distresses, and hardships are mentioned nine times by Paul in 2 Corinthians. So maybe you, any of you ever experienced any troubles, pressures, distresses, or hardships? You can relate to the Apostle Paul because he mentions them nine times just in this letter. But see, it's something about this, and, and Paul is reminding us, that it's in understanding that we, we live in a fallen world on a broken planet, um, that our perspective begins to change from the temporal to the eternal, which we've talked about a lot on our weekend studies about being disciples, that we have to make the shift, that we have a tendency to get very focused on the temporary and want everything to work out the way we want it to do here, but, but the reality is that life is found in the eternal, and that um, as as believers, there's something better waiting for us. This is not as good as it gets. Having said that, let me say this. As far as living here on this planet goes, living in Christ is the best life that you can know. No matter what it looks like, there's no better life. Um, nothing that the world offers, nothing that anybody else seems to offer, that the culture offers, no matter how um, famous or wealthier that they might be, that life is not better than the life that you have in Christ. It's just not. The life that you have in Christ is the best life available to you on the planet at this point in time. But it's not as good as it gets. And we need to be aware of that because it's fallen and broken. And no matter how hard we try and how much effort we put into trying to make everything work right now, it just never will. It never does. And so there's something about the reality of that, even Paul talking about it, that helps us to, to make that shift from the temporary to the eternal. See, you're in Christ now, you're eternal beings. You were temporary. Um, in, in your understanding but once you've come to Christ things are be, supposed to change it's a process though you don't just kind of flip the switch and go oh now I'm an eternal being uh, it, you, 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 you get it but you don't necessarily allow it to sink in the way you will over time I can remember now I'm going off track and off my notes because I just had a thought be afraid be very afraid I remember as a brand new Christian having a discussion with somebody about the book of Revelation. And they started talking about Jesus coming back and what that was going to be like. And, and as a brand new Christian, I remember thinking, well, I, I just figured this out. I don't want Jesus to come back. Not right now, because they were making it sound like he was going to come back any day. And I had the thought, well, no, man, I just kind of, I've lived such a crummy life up till now. Um, now that I got it figured out, I'd like to have a shot at it. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking, well, I, and then like three years later, I was like, okay. <laughs> Anytime is good now. 
What had happened? Well, my focus began to make the process, the shift from the temporary to the eternal. It's not fully yet. Nobody's is. But it's an understanding that what's coming is better than anything I'll attempt. You know, this is good. Don't get me wrong. I want to, because I, I want to make sure you hear me say that. Because sometimes when I talk about what's better, what's coming is far better, it is. But, but hear me say that this is still in Christ the best that you, life you'll ever live. Okay? You need to, this is the best. And how many ever years he give you, it's the, in Christ... It's the best deal. Tragedies and hardships and pressures and all those things mixed in. It's still where life is found. So, so there's something about all this process that begins to help us really make the transition from the temporal to the eternal. And, and, uh, and so as we make that process, as we make that change in our minds, Paul reminds us that God is the source of our comfort through all those things. And he uses three titles to help us remember who God is in this situation. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. He's the father of compassion, and he's the God of all comfort. Pretty good titles, all here in this first chapter. And then he says something else that's fascinating, too, that you need to hear. He says that that God comforts us in all our troubles, but that's not the end of the story. He comforts us so that we can comfort others in the midst of their struggles. And, and I, I hope you get that. It's a lot like when we talked about the spiritual gifts um, because I, I, I've said to you, and, and you need to make sure you hear that, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to, uh, to us, but that he, they're given to us for the common good. And that's what people want to get. They get kind of hung up on the gifts. Well, I have these gifts. You, the spiritual gifts that God works through you are usually to, for somebody else. That, that the ultimate and whoever you minister to with your spiritual gift is the one who received the gift at that point in time. It goes through you in the process. It's cool that God uses you and all those things, but I have this um, belief, and we've talked about it, um, that, that God's just looking for people that are willing, and, and if you're willing, he'll sort of use you in whatever needs to be happening in a situation if you're open to it. And rather than limit yourself to, well, this is my gift or this is my gift, um, that, that God is able to use in you and to, through the Spirit, give to you whatever gift is needed for the situation that's at hand, and you just have to be willing to grab for it. Um, I, you know, I've used the illustration before. It's like um, um, having a, a plumber's tool belt on, and, and then I've taken it too far and said, you know, it's pulling your pants down and everything. But anyway, um, sorry, that's real bad. Okay, so you got a plumber's tool belt on, and you, but there's no tools in it. And you go to do a plumbing job, and you're down there looking at the job, and you realize, okay, I need a wrench. And you reach into your belt, and now there's a wrench in there. And you go ahead and use it, and you put it back, and now you need a screwdriver, and you didn't have any, but there it is, cause, and you needed it, and boom, you put it back. That, that there's something like that in our ministering to one another by the Spirit, that, that we go with just what we are and who we are, and, and if we're willing, whatever we need pops up because it's for the person we're ministering to. It's really not about us. We just happen to be there. Comfort works similarly. God comforts us no matter what we go through, ultimately so then we can extend that comfort to others. So that, that, uh, uh, that, that there's something... Have you ever been through something? And I know you all have. You've been through something that just doesn't make any sense and it's just terrible and it's hard and you think, what in the world... Uh, you, you, know, you question God why I don't even get it I don't why am I having to go through this you know and, and we have those questions and uh, invariably at some point you'll find somebody who's going through something similar and and then you get to sort of minister them with whatever comfort you received and and while it doesn't make it all better it okay well at least 
you know, I've been through that, I understand. And you can begin to minister the comfort that God gave you and it flows through you in that situation. And oftentimes when you're going through something that doesn't make sense, someone that's been through it will find their way to you. Um, it's just the, the Spirit of God moving in our lives. And so this happens not only with the gifts, but with comfort as well. So the comfort of God that comes to us is also supposed to flow from us to others. It's a big part of that letter. Last big concept I want to make uh, is from 12 to 24, those verses. And um, so that it makes sense, Paul uh, apparently feels the need to explain why he has changed his itinerary. Because here's what the critics are holding against him. He said he was going to come and visit, and then he changed his mind. Apparently, he didn't go. And what the critics are saying is, how can you trust someone that says he's going to do something and then doesn't do it? So if you can't trust what, he's, what he says he's going to do, you can't trust anything that he said either all along. So they're trying to discredit him in, in that way. And Paul says, and he makes it very clear, the reason he didn't come was out of consideration for them um, because he was giving them some time to deal with some of the problems they had before he got there. And you say, well, why would he do that? Well, um, Paul had tremendous authority as an apostle. We know that because we, we can see the, um, the outflow of his life and into his ministry and how God used him. He had tremendous authority. But he says, look, I didn't want to come to you and have to lord that over you in any way. He was reluctant to yield his authority in a way to, uh, that it was only by yielding that authority that the Corinthians would come into compliance. Um, uh, he's, see, that type of dictatorial wielding of authority is what the false apostles have to do. It's what people without real authority have to do to get people to come in line. They have to claim this, this intense authority and then, and then just kind of just force it on people to force them into compliance. And, and the reality is that when people are forced into compliance by that, it's not real change. They might make some outward shifts, but you know what doesn't happen is nothing inside changes. Um, the Spirit of God changes us on the inside. And people are loved into change, not forced into change. And, and the Apostle Paul knew that. And he knew there was issues that if he stepped into, he would have to deal with in a way that he, he wanted to allow them to deal with differently. Um, so that type of, of, of dictatorial wielding of power is used by the false apostles, and it's, it's, a, it's an element of the kingdom that they serve. But it's not the way of Christ or the kingdom of God. Remember these verses from Luke 22, 25 through 27. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. See, Paul is... is um, understands what Jesus was talking about. And so he's very cautious in, in, yield, in, in wielding the authority that he has in a dictatorial way, and he's allowing room for the Spirit of God and loving these people back in to make changes. And in effect, we know that they do. Um, we, we know as we read that, that amazing things happen as they allow the Spirit of God to come in and begin to soften their hearts and to change them. And what Paul says there is, is fascinating because he says uh, to the Corinthians, look, we are fellow workers. Um, and, and Paul is not there to work against them or to uh, work over them, but to work with them. And that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to 
work together. We all have different roles and different gifts and all those other things, but we're to work together. And, and he brings that up. And, and he does that in a very real way in, in being very vulnerable and open even to his own weaknesses and what's happening. So that's how Second Corinthians starts. And uh, that's good enough for today. And we'll leave it there. If you're watching by video, thank you so much for watching. If you're on television, uh, we appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. We know how valuable our time is. Anything we can do for you, call us, write us, email us, go to our website at keysvineyard.com. We'll do whatever we can to, uh, to help you in that process. But we're going to close tonight here with prayer and uh, 